All right, well, welcome to Hidden Treasures Revealed uh, on an impromptu conversation about a topic of premarital sex and seeing about answering some questions on that. Have you ever wondered, is there more to the Word of God than just words on the page? Join us for an in-depth journey into the truth of God by means of open, Socratic conversation. In Proverbs chapter 2, the Word of God says, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Hidden Treasures Revealed. All right, well, this is a Monday night, and really it doesn't matter because we can do impromptu podcast whenever. Uh, and when this gets published, it'll be a good thing for people to hear what's going on. So I'm happy this evening to have Anna Ruth. And I have also another guest who has some questions, and I'll let him uh, explain, you know, what the questions are and uh, what the reason is for doing this podcast. So, uh, and his name is Andrew. Hi. And so, <laughs> so we will have a, um, just a good Socratic conversation, and we'll see where it goes. Andrew, do you want to talk about what brought this up to do this podcast? Um, so am I, am I good? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, my girlfriend is an intern at a church in Fredericksburg and she has to sign like a, it's like a code of conduct to, um, like be an intern at the church and on that there's it, it says no premarital sex and then that sparked questions in my mind as to what um like what is premarital sex and what what is okay in the eyes of god and what is not well if they're just gauging it on premarital sex well then there's no problem it's because there's a lot of misunderstanding, misteaching. Uh, people are doing it, I guess, because they it makes them feel good or it, it makes them feel like they're doing something that's right. Where I just want to go on this for a second, that I find it interesting that in an organization that claims that they cannot get away from sin, that they would hold somebody to a higher standard than they hold themselves to, that they would put somebody to a place of, well, if you sin by doing these things we call premarital sex, then you, you, you can't, you can't be here. You can't be an intern or you can't uh, work here. And the, the problem with that is the hypocrisy that continues to go on where what are you doing other than what is in your mind, you perceive premarital sex, but what sin are you committing that you're still 
being a part of that organization. And so it, it's things like this as to why we're having a podcast. And it's, it's good to have somebody here who has questions and we'll give the answers the best of our ability. And if there's something we can't answer, then we're going to say we can't answer it, you know, but there'll be a digging into it and trying to figure out the answers to those questions along the path and along the way. So this is a uh, very good and it's good for people to hear and recognize when we get into talking about uh, premarital sex. And we just did a podcast, oh, not too long ago about uh, fornication divorce and premarital mm -hmm. sex. And so we're just going to take the questions and see where it goes. Anna Ruth, do you have anything? I did. I just really quick before we get into the actual questions, I kind of tagging off of what you said. Um, I just, I mean, I, I asked Andrew, I wanted, I was like, can I read this code of conduct? Because I want to, is it like, be kind, be nice, don't have sex before marriage. Like, why is that the focus? But for me, I think that's just one of the deflection techniques of the Christian church because we've also, I'm pretty sure in the Bible, it says that one sin is not greater than another. So shouldn't the stipulation just be don't sin then? But then in Christianity, they don't believe that you can't not sin. So anyway, that's just how my brain works. Right, because they even depose pastors for sinning while everybody else in the church is sinning. And uh -huh. yeah, like canceled. They're canceled. Really? Well, not canceled. Like I used to listen to a pastor back um well before we started this journey and he got uh caught up in some adultery uh with somebody else and the church that he was pastoring for uh, made him step down from his position because of the sin that he was committing. And just again, the hypocrisy in it is that you're looking at him telling him he's sinning and you're doing the very same thing instead of everybody trying to figure out how can I get to a place where I don't sin and then we don't have to worry about it. So it's, it's really more about you taking care of yourself first before you try to direct others. And so from this perspective, um, so are they saying that if, if she's, uh, according to their standard, uh, engaged in premarital sex, that she can't be an intern? Um, I'm pretty sure that that's the, the stipulation. I'm there's some other stuff on there too. Like mostly it's, conduct yourself in a way that you would like the church to be viewed because you are a leader of the church, which makes sense. But like excessive drinking and uh, don't curse in public and or don't curse at all, really. <laughs> just in public. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and it, it just sparked some questions I had. Okay, so it just just hit us with the initial question. Oh, okay. So my first question is premarital sex a sin? Well, in and, all. And if so, where at in the Bible does it say? Okay, so if we're going to talk about premarital sex as a sin, then I have to say no. 
But there's a catch to that. Okay, because there is a thing called such as called fornication, and I'll explain that in a minute. Um, but with the aspect of premarital sex, okay, the reason that it doesn't exist is because the fact is is that once you have that physical union with somebody, you are considered to be married to that person in the eyes of God, and that's why God says. What man has put together, or what God has put together, man cannot separate. Well, it says, let man not separate. But the reality is, is that you can't separate. It doesn't matter who you've been with. And I've had my own share of uh, things from my past. Uh, you still know those circumstances and those situations. And you're connected to that person. It's just the way it is. It's because it's the way God designed it is that in the intimate relationship, you become one with another individual. And then that's enhanced by the production of kids in the process. So what people need to know in the first place is that there can't be premarital sex because once you have that act, you're married in the eyes of God, and we'll take it back to Adam and Eve. Yes, in this world, we have ceremonies, and somewhere along the way, somebody decided it would be good to have a ceremony, and we're not saying that you can't have a ceremony, but the ceremony does not make a determination of whether you are married or not. It's just as much as a divorce decree does not determine whether you're divorced or not, because most people have already been living a divorced life before that decree comes along anyway. So it's about the, the reality of what exists in God's eyes, in the way God created it from the beginning. And no matter who you are, how can you hold somebody to that standard? Because the Bible says all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you're telling me that I if I've done this thing, I can't be a part of your organization, but yet you did many other things that were sin and you're a part of the organization. And this is where for us, that's why we want to stay. We separate from that because we don't want to be tied to the hypocrisy that goes with it. But there is a reality that people need to know that in the eyes of God, marriage is when you have that union with somebody else. The object of fornication, and if you look up the definition of fornication, and you can look it up in the English dictionary, or you can go to the Hebrew, uh, and in the Hebrew uh, language, there are four terms that pretty much cover every area, and adultery is one of those, uh, prostitution is a part of it, there's... Uh, um, that, that's why, I mean, that's the main objective is here's what fornication is. Anytime somebody enters into that act without the intention of a, a lifelong connection, that's fornication. You know, there are people who have entered into that with the intention of a lifelong eye. The, the, the intent was lifelong, but something happened and somebody got upset or, you know, they, they broke up 
and because of circumstances, you know, it happens. The initial intent was to be joined to that person and people in the world will use it. Well, I didn't get married, so I, I don't, I don't have no tie to that person. And, but you do because you had that union with them and it's really, it's, it's a shame that in this world, people are not being taught the truth about it so that they can make sensible, logical decisions in the midst of it. So premarital sex doesn't exist. Once you have that union, you are uh, attached to that person. There's a place in the Bible that talks about uh, not having a connection to a prostitute because you become one with her in flesh. And so you have that connection to her, but that would be, it's still you're married, but it's still fornication. And so the objective goal is that we want to teach people that don't have that union unless your intention is to spend the rest of your life with that person. Now, what happens in the midst of that? Uh, you know, things happen, but if your intention is, then it won't be considered fornication, but fornication also is if somebody commits adultery against their husband or their wife, or they go to a prostitute, it, it still falls under that same aspect because think about those things, the adultery and the, uh, prostitution, you're not going to that person because you want a lifelong commitment with them. You're, you're going to them because you want to get what you want to get more of the instant gratification kind of perspective. Right. Andrew, you got any words you're thinking about that die uh, about what's been said so far? Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense with like the intent, the, like the intent portion, because that's your, um, like that's your goal. That's your end result. And you like, you want to plan for your end result. Um, my next question or really point was, uh, so the Bible uses, uh, sexual immorality, like a bunch. And so I looked up the definition of what sexual immorality is, because that's a, that's one of the things that the echo chamber of like older Christians are telling the younger people is premarital sex is wrong because sexual immorality. But like when you look at the actual definition, it, it says sexual immorality implies behavior contrary to the accepted moral code, which may differ according to society and a group of people concerned. Sexual immorality may therefore include any sexual deviation as well as deviant marriage patterns and violence. It also includes prostitution. So that's, that's the definition. And I just don't see how, like, how did that get translated to the other? Well, again, it's, it's translation. That is the issue, not revelation, because revelation is something revealed to you. Translation is you deciding to figure out what it is. And just like the definition said, people are so focused on premarital sex and not focused on the right reality of it that they don't even see that they're living their life 
in sexual immorality. When you have husbands and wives who are indulging in self-gratification, that falls under that, but they don't focus on them. They don't focus on that aspect. And they're trying to catch young people. Their, their intent may be, um, their intent may be to try to dissuade them from mistakes that they've made in their life, but you can't teach somebody else the lesson that they need to learn. You have to teach them the truth. And sometimes the truth is hard to hear, but teach them the truth and then let the truth stand by itself. Because again, the sexual immorality is again, anything that takes place that is outside of the will of God, when it comes to uh, those sexual relationships between a man and a woman, and not just a man and a woman, but there's other aspects that God speaks about in the Bible that are detestable just as well. And so why they tie them together is because that's all they know to do. Well, we're telling you that there's premarital sex. So if there's premarital sex, it has to be sexual immorality. And again, it is so important for people to understand. I don't care if you ever have a ceremony to get married to somebody in this world. If you join to somebody in that physical union, join to them with the intent that you were never going to leave them and you will be together with them until they die. Because death is the only time that there's separation in the midst of it. And so it's really important to understand that sexual immorality covers the prostitution, the, uh, the uh, masturbation, the um, adultery, adulteries. The, I mean, every aspect that doesn't line up with the way God designed it. God designed it, and people do it for the pleasure. Here's what one of the biggest misunderstandings that has been drilled into people in the world from the enemy is that it's, it's sex is for the pleasure. And that's not the truth. Pleasure is for the sex. And what that means is, is that the only reason the pleasure is there is because if it wasn't there, you wouldn't go back to it. And therefore you wouldn't be able to reproduce and have kids because truly, do you do anything you don't want to do or that you don't like, or that doesn't bring you some sort of, uh, uh, pleasure or um, gratification, you don't do it. And so the understanding is, is that that relationship is for a bond with somebody and the pleasure in it is to keep you going back to bond to that person and then to produce offspring. And that was the, the uh, thing that was given to Adam and Eve was to produce offspring, go fill the earth. And when two people become one in the form of a child, like your child, Liliana, she is both you and Josh. And you cannot, I don't care who you are, you cannot separate you out of her and Josh out of her. Well, and we actually had talked about this in church one time, that if you were to do that, you would destroy her, you would kill her. I mean, I don't know how you'd go about doing that. You'd have to unravel her entire genetic code. And in doing that, it would completely eliminate her. 
Uh, right. And so it's a complete impossibility. Even if you did that, you still wouldn't be able to separate those uh, genetics that are in place. And so just uh, as we look at this, yes, do I agree that sexual immorality is wrong? Yes. Do I agree that adultery is wrong? Yes. Do I agree that prostitution is wrong? Yes. But you'd be surprised how many people are married who are living an adulterous life because they're entertaining self-pleasure, which is not with their partner, and therefore, that's adultery. It doesn't matter if you committed it with somebody else. And it's the burden that you have to bear in the midst of it. And so when we look at this, we want to go to the core of what was God's design in the beginning? Because if you remember Messiah, he told, uh, when they were asking him about uh, divorce, well, Moses said we could give her a letter of divorce and send her away. And Messiah said, in the beginning, it was not this way. Moses gave you that ability because of the hardness of your hearts, but that's not the way God intended it from the beginning. And the intention from the beginning is not for you to be joined to multiple partners. Uh, unfortunately, in my life, I had multiple partners and I uh, regrets of that later on as coming to faith, but I can't change that from uh, what happened in the past but I can make sure that I'm not uh, falling into sexual immorality within my marriage and making sure of doing things appropriately and improving and getting better along the way. And so does that kind of help answer your question on that? Yeah. I mean, you, you answered a lot of questions in that first little, uh, little stint you did. <laughs> little stint you did. Um, uh, one question I did have is how close to adultery is lust? Well, go ahead. Weren't you, when we talked a little bit earlier, you were referencing the scripture that says if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. Is that kind yeah. of what you're basing off of? Yes, yes. So, and that I wasn't really sure how to, but you had said something else with that too, though. Do you remember? I think I was referencing one of my bullet points. Oh, okay. It was okay. coming up. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll pause <laughs> that. So, Okay, so what's the question on that again? So how, how close to adultery is lust? Because adultery is sexual immorality, which is like, I'm just trying to see like, because if lust is sexual immorality, then, you know what I mean? It's just like finger pointing for no reason. It's, a, it's like one this way, three this way. You know what I mean? Well, when we, when we look at the aspect of lust compared to adultery, okay, Messiah did what he did with that for a reason. And that's to let us know that what you see somebody else do and you perceive it's worse than what you've done, you or trying to highlight them because they're worse than you. And Messiah said, no, 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 you're equal to them. It doesn't matter if you tell a lie or somebody and somebody else murders somebody, 
and neither one of them repent, both of them will end up in hell. And I thought that was a way of effectively shutting everybody down because I, I don't know for sure, but I would probably say that almost everyone on the planet has lusted after somebody. Whether or not you physically did something about it, you entertained lustful thoughts. And so that was like just what you said, Messiah's way of saying, oh, no, no, you're not allowed to cast stones here unless you're casting them at yourself. Right, because that's one of the biggest things that we talk about, that what you say in other people that bring it back to yourself. Make sure that, that you're not doing the same things. I think you guys are awesome and intelligent. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Uh, but really, what Messiah was, was drawing a line saying, look, it doesn't matter, because there's scripture that says that if you've broken one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. It doesn't matter the depth or the uh, how much you want to minimize what you've done and maximize what somebody else has done. The reality is, is that he was saying, and let me clarify this, okay? He wasn't putting lust in a complete category all by itself, and you can't lust at all because there's an appropriate proportion to lust. And if you are married to somebody, you are free to lust after the person that you're married to. There's not a problem with that at all. That's what we call a desire for that person. And that should be there. No question about it. It's when you have a connection to somebody else and then you lust after somebody other than them, then that is considered that you've committed adultery. Well, why would he say that? Well, I, it would mean that you had that union with somebody else because you're you're in order for you to commit adultery, you have to have that union. And once you have that union with somebody else and then you lust after somebody else, now you're pushing yourself into the area of fornication. And Messiah didn't only do it with lust. He also did it with hatred. If you hate your brother then it's as though you committed murder. And the whole concept and the whole reason and the whole thing behind why that he did that was for the greatest reason of his uh, speaking about take the log out of your own eye, buddy, before you take the speck out of somebody else's because that log in your eye you're trying to get that speck out of the other person's eye and you're going to maim them because you can't see clearly to get it out of their eye. And so there's, there's that aspect is what I can answer to that perspective because that, again, that falls into the area of uh, fornication that, you know, you shouldn't lust after, but it doesn't, you know, if you lust after other things that's that would be a covetousness anyway and you're saying that i want what they have and i want it for free it's different if you see something somebody has oh i'd like to have that i'm going to do whatever it takes to get it but there's a mindset difference but when we talk about that that's that's how i would answer that question from the truth of god is that 
if you lust after somebody else, then it's sin. Here's the objective is until you have circumcision of the heart, even if you're seeking God with all of your heart, you're going to sin anyway. And I think, like, I've just been kind of turning that over my head and we can jump back into your other bullet points, but truly, and somebody has to correct me if I'm wrong, because I've been out of touch with Christianity pretty much my whole life, just with my parents' background. But the concept with Christianity is that if you're a Christian, like you're, you're in the club, you've done the thing, you've said the prayer, but they all keep sinning anyway. Like that's a thing they talk about, not that they want to, but like, then they live like in that cycle of repentance, like, or asking him Jesus for forgiveness. Then isn't this a moot point? Like the whole code of conduct, it, like in looking at like their body of beliefs, doesn't it not make sense? Right. I'm not trying to attack the code of conduct directly because that just seems silly that you would have somebody work for the church who's not conducting themselves that way right like if you weren't christian you probably wouldn't be interested in the job right right interesting i i just yeah that aside i mean we can keep going on the topic that just was really weird to me sorry well while you're looking up the next bullet point i would just hit on that again is and again it shows the hypocrisy of why we get away from it is because you're you profess that if you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, everybody's saved, your sins are forgiven, so why are you holding somebody else's sin against them but not holding your own sin against you? Because you profess that you sin. And the the problem is not having a code of conduct. The problem is trying to have other people live up to that code of conduct that you yourself are incapable, incapable of living up to. I wonder if like a better system would be like when you're bringing somebody new on, if you show them your code of conduct and say, Hey, this is how I expect myself to behave. And I'd like you to keep me accountable to this. Right. Follow my example as I follow the example of Messiah. The reality is, is that if you're going to have a code of conduct, then you need to have faith in God, true faith in God, where you can get away from sin And therefore, it gives you the ability to walk in that code of conduct. But people aren't taught that you can get away from it. They're just taught that, well, you just do say this prayer and do this thing and you're forgiven. And unfortunately, that's not the case. So, yeah, I won't belabor the point anymore. It's one of my vocabulary words. (laughs) Um, So my next point, oh, need to get in the mic. Uh, My next point is what like where is the line between like like you said once you're joined together you can't be separated where where is that line like is that line um like at intercourse or is that sexual contact or making out cuddling hugging holding hands uh lust for your partner you know what I mean? Like where, where is that line and why is the line there? This is the one I didn't know how to answer. Like I know what Josh and I did, but I wasn't really sure how to give a good answer for this one. So I said, we were going to talk to you. 
<laughs> so so ask me the question again. So where where is the line? Like what what is the line that you're not supposed to cross? Because nobody will give an answer as to the line that you're not supposed to cross. Well, <laughs> this is tricky because it all depends on where you are and what you're professing. And, you know, like with Josh and Anna Ruth, um, because they were part of the gathering that we have, we were holding them to a standard. And it wasn't a standard of, you know, now we, we did at that time we had uh, the ceremony. and the, But the objective goal is don't do all that stuff don't do well i won't say all that stuff the objective goal is uh anything from a sexual nature would i would say you know if there's petting or if there's uh you don't have to have the intercourse but you have uh you end up having pleasure anyway that still falls under that uh that guise of a connection to them um because one of the one of the aspects of the connection is a skin on skin uh connection so if you have a skin on skin connection from any form that's going to start that bond uh and if you have a release that also uh releases a hormone that is a bonding agent as well well yeah you become addicted like subconsciously it it does the same thing that drugs do is it releases that um like that chemical in your brain dopamine and you become addicted to that person. Well, and it's even worse from of an addiction because technically it's not illegal. Right. And I think we had touched on this a couple. Um, sorry, he just waved his wave at me. That was funny. Um, he, uh, Andrew and I had a conversation. Oh, goodness. Maybe a couple of weeks ago at this point and something I w- so I was a virgin before I got married. And when I we were talking about it from an addiction standpoint, I was that was just another layer of me being grateful for that. Because in my family, um, we tend to have highly addictive personalities. My dad and, um, well, actually all five of my brothers um, struggle with alcohol, uh, like a lot. So... And that's just one. I mean, there's also smoking, there's binge eating, there, there's just a lot of addictions and some I've had and some I've overcome. So I was, when he had, Andrew had brought that up, I was like, oh, wow, if I, you know, I could have very easily fallen into a trap where I would have stayed with somebody um, just because of the addictive nature of it. So it was just an insight that I hadn't had before. Right. And it does release chemicals in your brain that bring you that pleasure and people are striving for pleasure and from the right mindset that's okay and as a matter of fact it's great i mean and unfortunately people don't talk about this uh openly and i know i didn't talk about it with my kids openly in the past because i was in christianity and walking that path and then realizing now that this is stuff that that people need to be taught in order that they can uh, walk appropriately according to God. And it's a good thing. God created it. It's okay to talk about. It's okay to uh, evaluate it and decide, you know, what's appropriate, what's not. And a lot of it 
you know, especially in marriage relationships, even in a marriage relationship, the Bible says uh, to keep the marriage bed clean. You know, so you're not just released because you have that committed union to that person to then do whatever it is that you want to do. No, you, you have to stand still on what is the intention that God had for this act. It's two purposes. It's to, to bind two people together as one individual with, with chemical binding that comes from it and to produce godly offspring or to produce offspring. The intention is to produce godly offspring that you're in God, you teach your kids to be in God. Eventually when they get older, they'll follow that path. And if you keep that cycle going, then that's a great avenue and a great cloud of witnesses to a family to be able to do that. You know, I'm not going to say I did this too late because I can't change what I did in the past, but I can do what I can to teach other people the truth about it. And the truth is, is that the line, like the question that you ask is the line is where any kind of physical sexual contact is made where there's any kind of release one, one side or the other, or both, uh, that would wear, because that starts the union and the bond. Uh, that would be the line in the midst of it. So, so kissing is the line. Well, kissing is over the line. Is well, what you're well, no, here's what I would say with kissing. And this is something well, that making out is over the line, but kissing is not. No, he, he, let me, <laughs> let me explain. Okay. Cause this is something to talk to Josh and Anna Ruth about before they got married. And the, the issue with kissing is Yes, you do. Ha- I mean, you have a physical bond, but if if you hug your mother, well, you have a physical bond with her. You 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 had a bond with her from infancy because of breastfeeding. I mean, that's a fact of life that whenever you have skin on skin contact with somebody, that you have a physical bond with them, and that's not necessarily wrong. Well, the intent of that is lifelong. Right. That, that's my mother. You know what I mean? Like, so that, that makes sense. Right. So the objective again with the kissing should be that your intention still is that this is lifelong. The issue with the kissing is that that makes your hormones start to race. And then when your hormones start racing, you don't, there are times where you just aren't thinking clearly and you end up doing things that are more than you should. And trust me, I know from my own past, uh, I'm not sitting here uh, trying to put on this perception that I never did any of that stuff when I was younger. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff before we got married that we did, it, you know, it, it's, is it a, is it agreeable or is it appropriate? I uh, no, but the reality is, is that the first time that we had that union, we were married anyway, whether we were married or not. And 
that's a that meaning from the world perspective because like i was saying earlier i don't care you i I don't care that you have a ceremony there wasn't a ceremony for adam and eve there doesn't need to be one for you what there needs to be is the intention that this is a person i'm spending the rest of my life with and so any physical contact i have with them is going to build that bond and you know, you can have friends that you that you give a hug or you touch them on the arm or and you have a bond with that person. But it's not a uh, it's not a sexual bond. And if there's no uh, draw to that person, then it's just a bond between two people. And uh, fathers could have more of a bond with their kids if they. I uh, were uh, appropriately having more contact with the kids. You know, I mean, generally men, they don't have much contact with the kids, especially at a young age. And therefore that's why they bond to the mother much stronger than they do the father, because they have that physical bond to the mother. And it, it's just the way it is. It's, it doesn't mean it can't be changed and do it in appropriation, but physical touch is a bonding agent, even for friends, you know, typically you don't want somebody who you don't know coming up and just hugging you. I don't want people uh, that I know hugging no, me. Not, not typically. That's <laughs> no, no bueno. Right. So the objective is, is that you want to draw a line. I would draw it at any kind of, uh, activity that brings a uh, a sexual release that would give you the the bond, um, but the kissing leads up to that. And sometimes you know you're holding somebody's hand and you caress them, and then the caressing leads to a kiss, and then the kiss leads leads to other things and petting, and then the next thing you know, you've gone farther than you intended to in the midst of it. And again. I know my past. I, I'm, I don't, uh, I'm not boasting about the past rather than I recognize and I understand these things now. And as far as I'm concerned, I'd like as many people to know that you, you want to be married to somebody in the eyes of God, then you set your mind in your heart that that's the person you're going to be with till death. And then you go have that union with them. Go, go join and then live live your life together as a married couple. Now, if you want to have a ceremony, I don't have any issue with that. I don't have any problem with that. But the, the ceremony does not make you married. The physical union is what makes you married. You, you kind of took a lot of my bullet points away from me. <laughs> he does that. Yeah, that wasn't really the answers that I was expecting, sir. Yeah, I mean, you answered a lot of questions, and, like, it all makes sense, like, in that regard. Like, another one of my points that I was going to uh, ask about was, is, like, because society has, whoa, whoa. Um, because society has changed so much, like, for example, like, when the Bible was written, there was no contraception. 
all the marriages were prearranged. They were all teen, uh, teen marriages. They were like, I, I feel like the church likes to chastise young adults and bully them into, well, it's almost like they're using sex as the incentive to get married in the church. Like, I, I know I can name a handful of people. I'm not going to, but I can name a handful of people off the top of my head that want to get married faster because that means that they can have sex with their sub- significant other. And that's not the reason that you should get married to somebody. You know, but is the intention that they want to be with that person the rest of their life? That that's a key factor in it. If it's not, then they probably shouldn't be marrying that person anyway. Well, well, it is, but I think that that is driving the decision. Like it's not, it's not a clear mind, clear conscience choice. Like there's incentives behind it. I feel like you should get married for, like, because you're compatible. And you make a good team with the other person rather than I want to have sex with this person. So I'm going to get married to them. When, if I remember correctly from earlier, you were also thinking that if the main desire for wanting to get married to somebody was to have sex with them, wouldn't it be better to have the sex and then assess the situation without that part of it weighing you down? Like you were curious as to why, that would be ungodly. Yes. Yes. And they, if that's the reason that they want to get married, then they shouldn't get married because there should be a connection to that person. We talked about this on a podcast just not too long ago, and there's three aspects that you need to work out in a relationship and it's the physical the spiritual and the emotional unfortunately we live in a world where people will go to the physical first and if you go to the physical first you neglect the other two where in the reality the best way to approach a relationship that's going to last in longevity is emotional and spiritual first and once you have that emotional, spiritual connection and you know that this is the person that you're choosing, and I want to make this clear too, that love is not something you fall into. Love is a choice. You, you like the things that the other person does or you, you like things about them. You make a choice to love that person. And that means that you're loving their flaws as well as their the, the good things that they do. Unfortunately, a lot of times people hide their flaws and they don't come out until after they're married. And then that brings the uh, contention and the arguing and the quarreling where this is why it's so important to seek after the spiritual and emotional perspective first and then seek that physical connection because then with all three of those things locked in, you have the best opportunity to last 
with that person. And when you go into that relationship with somebody, it should be with the idea that I will not separate. One of the things that uh, me and Cindy had talked about is that divorce is not an option. Now, I can't tell you that if I would have done some of the things that I was on a path to do when I was younger, that that couldn't have ended up that way. But when we entered into our marriage, we had the concept and the mindset that we're not going to, we're not, divorce is not an option. And unfortunately, there are too many people that still live married that are actually living divorce because they don't spend time together. They don't do things together. Their interests are completely different. Well, why is that? Because you went after the physical perspective first and you didn't go after the spiritual and emotional to make that connection to like what she likes or to like what he likes or to do what he does or do what she does. That's the, the, uh, the problem in the midst of it. And so when we look at this subject there, there is a whole lot, to this that people don't know because they're not taught and people assume. And when they assume they make an ass out of you and me, that was the old, <laughs> that was the old saying. Oh, I knew it was coming. That was the old saying in the past. Oh, people, oh my gosh. Did he say that on the, on this is a, a religious we thing or notes yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> an ass is a donkey. Exactly. That's that's what the the reality is, is that you make a fool of everybody else and yourself when you assume things. And unfortunately, there are a lot of assumptions that take place within the Christian church. And so when we look at these things like a code of conduct, I don't have no problem with the code of conduct as long as everybody under that is going to follow along with that code of conduct. And if you're telling somebody that they can't have sinned in this specific sin, then you can't be there because you've sinned. And if, if you've broken one part of the law, you've broken all of it. So if you're setting somebody aside because of your, your supposed premarital sex, then you have to set yourself aside and we disband the church because nobody there is going to profess that they don't sin. And this is a problem, not so much from the perspective of, it, it Well, it's from the perspective of the individual looking at somebody else and saying, you need to not be doing these things, but I'm guilty of doing these things, but I'm hiding them. So what does that teach people to do? Oh, it's a code of conduct. Well, guess what? I'm going to lie just like everybody else. Yeah, you're just not going to catch me. It's, it's Yeah, that, that's just setting up for failure. You should just lead by example and show people that that's how you should live. When I was also thinking about when you said that um, discussing sex in general is such a taboo thing. And I think it's because so many people don't know what's right or wrong, or they think they know what's right or wrong. And specifically talking about like in the Christian or religious communities. Um, and if they think they're doing something wrong, well, then they don't want to talk about it at all because it makes them super uncomfortable. Because if you're comfortable with something and you know you're not doing something wrong, then you can 
very easily chat about it, like the weather or your job or just something in general. Like you can easily talk about it because you're not sitting there feeling guilty. And it needs to be talked about. Like, especially like once you're married, I feel like if you don't have any sexual experience before marriage, how are you supposed to know what healthy sexual behaviors are? Like it needs to be talked about. I asked your mother so many questions. Uh, don't tell me that. I did. Please don't. I'm not going to tell you the questions. Please don't. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to know. No, but I, well, I asked your dad questions too. I don't so. want to know. Don't even say <laughs> I it. I'm, I don't remember what they were, but yeah, I didn't have any experience. So I went, <laughs> I went to the people in the church. Well, you better brace yourself because at some point in time, you're going to ask a question and you're going to get an answer. You didn't want to hear the answer to, um, <laughs> Because we're, we're, I'm not here about hiding things about now. We're not going to intentionally go talking about stuff that uh, that doesn't uh, correlate to what we're getting into. But it, it is a reality that you're right. Otherwise, if you don't talk about it and explain to people what it's about. And unfortunately, I didn't have that ability when you were younger because I didn't know it. I, I know it now. Go ahead. Spoiler alert, y'all never said that y'all were father and son. Spoiler. Well, he led on to it when you started talking about Cindy and then, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I just, I was clarifying. <laughs> um, but these are all good questions that shouldn't go unanswered. My question would be, what if the person that's supposed to sign the code of conduct were to ask the people asking her to sign this code of conduct is, are you following this code of conduct to what's written on the page? Because you're going to hold me to a standard again and it's not fair for you to hold me to a standard if you're not going to stand to it yourself. Or could she ask them to define it for her? Do you think that would be something she could ask them? Um, so originally I wrote these questions uh, for her and then changed my mind and decided to ask you. Well, maybe she can ask the questions too. Yeah. Yeah. And if she wants to, right. you know, that's, that's on her, but that's, you know, that's stirring up some, some mud. Right. Like, yeah. Cause chances are there'd be some sort of fallout or something. Well, and unfortunately they're not able to give a good answer and good answers are what are necessary for questions that need to be answered. And it just, I, uh, do you have any other questions or did we hit everything? I'm pretty sure you hit all like all of my bullet points, like in the first like <laughs> little section of talking you did, um, because you pretty much said that there is no such thing as premarital sex. And all of my bullet points were based on that. <laughs> well, and. The objective is just speak the truth because that's a reality that has been, that's a lie that has been placed on people about premarital sex rather than saying, look, if you have sex with somebody that 
you're married to that person. And that means that uh, in reality, I've been married to five different people, including my wife. And now, does that mean I have to go hunt those people down now? And no, no, that we're not bringing other problems into the mix. But the reality is, is that I know I have that connection to those people. The objective goal is to make sure that that pattern will not continue. And I'm going to love my wife like I'm supposed to. And I'm going to love her like Christ loved the church. That's the objective goal in a marriage before God. And so as we look at these uh, things that are brought out, you know, because there are some churches that talk about uh, they have this absolution of no drinking, that you can't drink. Baptist church is like that, except everybody in the Baptist church, they just don't tell everybody they drink and they hide it when they go to the grocery store, they stick it under something. And because you, well, you might have your, somebody from your church might be there and you don't want them to know that you're indulging in what everybody else is doing. And, uh, but the Bible never says you can't drink something. It just says not to be a drunkard, not to, not to be drunk on much wine. And it's called moderation and control. And if you can control yourself, then you should. And even Paul said, you know, that if somebody can't control their impulses, that they should go ahead and get married. Go ahead and join to somebody who you're going to have that union with so that those impulses can be fulfilled by that individual person. Now, if you can uh, resist those impulses, then his suggestion was stay single because marriage is going to bring you problems. And I know, Anna Ruth, you haven't had any problems in your marriage, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, I am perfect, but Josh. No. <laughs> Here comes the lightning bolt. <laughs> <laughs> no, these two gentlemen have heard all about my problems and me being the problem and Josh being the problem and we're both the problem. And yep. And right. the dogs being the problem and the gerbils being the problem. I don't have a gerbil anymore. I had guinea pigs. Uh, Same difference. Is not. Gerbils <laughs> have a tail. So do you. <laughs> what? That's a story. A tail. Oh, my. Come on. Mo okay. Back so anyway. to spiritual things. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I would uh, conclude. Well, hold on. Hold on. Oh, before before you conclude. Oh, I'm I'm not going to conclude. Uh what would your suggestion on questions to ask the elders in the church? Like for for the people listening and for Lexi. What what would your questions to the elders of the church be? Like about this this topic or just in general? The, this topic. This topic. Yeah. Like if I mean, you were to approach you can't just people in your straight grill people. Why not? Because it's not productive. Oh, good point. Delivery. We're we're on topic. Okay, what were the questions topic. about sexual immorality? What what questions should people ask the elders in the church? Well the questions that should be asked should be all based around the word of God and the truth of God. So 
she could go and say, okay, would you explain to me and give me clear understanding in the Bible where it says that premarital sex is wrong? And they may go to the place where it talks about fornication and, well, what if my union to this person uh, that I've been joined to is a permanent union, we just haven't had a marriage in the eyes of the world, then how can it be premarital sex? The, the objective goal, and I can tell you that it, it's if she questions them, it, it's she's going to find that they're not going to find favor with that because they're not going to be able to give her a good answer for the questions that she'll have. But if she does ask questions, then she should ask questions and ask them for scriptural proof and not just one scripture here, but give me the scripture in the context of what it's saying and show me where this is wrong or where that is wrong in the perspective of it. Because in the reality is if, if her mindset is that she's uh, joined to you for life and your mindset is that you're joined to her for life, then in reality, she doesn't have a problem signing that uh, code of conduct because it's not premarital sex because it's actually a marriage joined together. Does that make sense? Do you See what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I I hear what you're saying. I just was trying to give people a little bit extra. Well, I like the um to me, starting a question with would you explain this to me? It's a very low aggression threshold. That's not gonna set somebody immediately defensive because they will probably be eager to try to explain or to try to teach. The frustration tends to set in when you question the answer. Or you're like, I still don't get it. I need a different, I need more. In my experience, that's where the frustration and irritation tends to set in on the person who's attempting to explain something. Right. But it's going to go off course when there's pressure because the, also the recommendation would be to know whatever scripture that you know that speaks to the contrary of what you're being told and see if they can give you the clarification on why is this contrary to what you're saying and to understand the context of it. And really, in all honesty, uh, she might, if she has a list of questions she'd like to ask, it would probably behoove her to come and ask me those questions first, which would set her up for a having a mindset of how to approach when something said that she knows isn't right, then, well, what about this scripture or what about this circumstance that this happens? And, you know, we could go to the whole code of conduct and, you know, this thing's pretty much saying that I can't sin and do you sin? You know, I mean, that would be a good, honest question. You know, do you sin? Are they going to say no? No. They're going to say, well, yeah, we all sin, all sin. Okay, then why do I have to sign this code of conduct that says I'm not going to sin? But 
you profess that you sin. And again, she needs to be prepared if she approaches this, that more than likely her internship's going to end uh, if she if she pursues this from that direction um, because they'll probably get upset and then terminate the internship. But that's something she has to be prepared for if she decides she's going to go that journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that she, she's very intelligent. So like she'll, she'll weigh the options and she'll find, she'll find her truth. You know, that's she's, she's out to find truth. So that's what she's going to do. Well, yeah. I mean, the fact that she's asking questions, I mean, that's just, I mean, and it just, I think it commends her character. The fact that she's, pausing to really assess this code of conduct and what it's asking of her and that she wants to make sure that she understands it fully so that she can sign it like i think that speaks very highly of her character and i think that you know if they were a reputable uh, place that they would appreciate the honesty rather than because anybody could sit there and lie and go through it but she's i don't think she <laughs> wants to lie in order to keep that internship and yeah, so and i don't know what they would do if she did come out and say whatever whether it's going forward from there or whatever because i mean there i've been to that church it's, it's fair it's nice it's it's really good and they 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 hit on good points a lot of times and like it it reminds me of what your church would be if it was bigger kind of sort of like some of the same principles maybe yeah yeah like they do they meet during the week and that's their main like study time like everybody meets in smaller groups and then on sunday all of the groups come together and then they discuss and whatnot. Is it a group discussion? In during the week. During the week, but okay. Like on Sundays, it's too big. Too big. It's, it's too big for that. We, you're just going to have to see where it goes, because. And it's up to her, really. Right. Ball's in her court. She has to decide what she wants to do. Um. The problem that I see, or another problem I see in the midst of this, is that you're trying to hold somebody to a standard that you can't hold yourself. And I've said that before. But we have people who are in our gathering who don't have circumcision of the heart yet. And we're not stopping them from coming and learning because... That's how you learn to get to the point of circumcision of the heart. And so you, you, when you put a code of conduct like that out to somebody who doesn't have circumcision of the heart, you're asking them to do an impossible task because no matter who you are, if you don't have circumcision of the heart, you still have the nature of sin in your heart. And because you have the sinful nature, 
it is impossible for you to not sin until that nature is removed from your heart and placed on your body of flesh. And that comes from the circumcision of the heart done by the spirit. So it's really important that people recognize and understand that you're trying to hold somebody to a standard that's impossible. I can't hold some of the people who don't have circumcision of the heart in our church to the same standard that I'll hold Anna Ruth and myself and your mother and uh, Josh and Sean. And because we're held to a higher standard because that's where we are in the journey. And it's just a matter of not putting people, not putting a yoke or burden on somebody that they can't carry. It's impossible for anybody to sign that document in all honesty because it's going to put them in a place where they know they've done some of these things. But if I want the internship, then I have to, I have to lie about it. And somebody shouldn't be put in that position. No, we recognize those things. So, I uh, and it can be really stressful to people because, like, people people sin, you know, and then they feel really bad and get stressed out and feel really guilty, and it it it's really stressful to them. And then to add that extra pressure of this is the the paper that you have to follow, you know, that's just extra stress. Like, I mean, it's, you said it's the burden that they can't actually carry at that point. Like, if I were to tell Liliana that I'm not going to care for her needs unless she tells me exactly what she needs, that's an impossible task for her right now. She can't tell me if she needs a diaper or needs some food or, I mean, there's, or even medicine at this point. But if I were like, nope, I'm not giving it to you unless you can tell me exactly what you need. That's just dumb. Right. Well, it'd be like holding her to a standard of uh, the same standard you'd hold somebody who's in college holding her and she's not even two years old yet. Yes, but I don't know if we mentioned that. Liliana's my 18-month-old daughter. <laughs> right. And so, you know, yeah, it's like, like comparing you and comparing Liliana and Andrew, that's that's extremely unfair to Andrew. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) There just needs to be a recognition that yes, there are going to be people who have sin that are in the church, but the objective goal is that if you're seeking God with all of your heart, once you come to the point of repentance towards God, then you get forgiveness for those sins, but it's still impossible for you to stop sinning and other people putting on the weight, on you to stop sinning when it's not possible for you to stop sinning. As a matter of fact, as the journey goes on right before circumcision of the heart, more than likely it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so you have to work to that place of circumcision of the heart. We're not saying that it's a place where sin, there's a place where sin's not forgiven. Well, there is at the beginning, then you repent to God. Then you start a path of, uh, you're forgiven for your sins that you're going to commit, but you work your way to that point where you've committed your life to God completely. And then they give you the circumcision of the heart, which is taking the, the stone, the sinful nature out of your lower conscience, your subconscious and placing it in your body of flesh. And 
So you still have actions that'll take place uh, as you grow in faith, but those actions are not sin because sin is of the heart. Sin has been removed from the heart. You cannot sin, but you're continually increasing and improving and getting better at not doing those things as you grow in that circumcision of the heart. And this is another area just added to all this other stuff that needs to be taught to people so that they can recognize that there is a journey that you have to find the fear of God first for the the father. And then he directs you to the son and then the son will bring you to the, the uh, spirit, which is mother. And so that's the objective goal in the midst of it. And that that's, we need to be teaching people the truth and not giving them, not put uh, putting yokes. Uh, I think uh, Messiah said to the Pharisees about putting yokes on the, the people that they can, that they themselves, the Pharisees can't even carry. And so with things like that, you know, if she wants to question it, uh, I think it's great, but I think she needs to be prepared or no, I know she needs to be prepared just for the case that they decide that, you know, that they can't give the answers and they don't like being pressed on the questions um, because somebody who's truly seeking to know the truth is not going to be satisfied. And trust me, I'm looking at somebody who did that now, Anna Ruth. You know what you're talking about. Yeah. But that is what has brought you to the point you're at now is that you were even questioning us because in the beginning, well, I'm going to teach these, I'm going to, I'm going to save these people and I'm going to teach them uh, what the truth is. Yeah. I was asking all of these questions. I don't know if I ever told you that ever tell you that I had all these questions. Oh, I, I knew that. Oh, I, okay. I knew, I knew everything. Oh, 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 yeah, I was around. Oh, okay. But yeah, I thought they were insane and that I needed to help them out, even though I hadn't, no answers to the questions that I had very. Yeah. But you weren't satisfied with the questions you were getting in Christianity. I'm pretty sure Andrew, that this is the same reason that these questions that you were bringing tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not sure how like the people that she would ask would answer. And I think that that would help her search and find, you know, the, the truth and, trying to live by what the Bible says. Cause that is, I was thinking that, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I would agree with you that the concept of premarital sex is definitely a fear tactic of the overall church or a bullying tactic. And it completely distracts from where are you with your relationship with God? Like that, is the primary focus all the other stuff not to say that it's not important but it's secondary to do you have salvation or rather circumcision of the heart you know do you know who god is so well and if you settle that issue then all the other issues will be settled in the midst of it well yeah that's kind of my my thought is Again, it, it beam log. Yeah, we've 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 had all the stuff. So beam log. Look at yourself. Exactly. So, do you guys have anything else before we 
no sir i'm 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 good i'm done you you finished me in like the first 30 seconds <laughs> well i find that it's interesting because there are a lot of times when people have questions and this would be good for people to recognize if you just sit and listen to somebody with your questions in mind you might find out that they're going to answer you the, the questions with what they have or they're not going to and if somebody doesn't give you a good answer, do not be satisfied with it. Make sure that it's a good answer and make sure it's a good answer by your searching into it. You're talking to God and you're discovering the reality of truth based in what God says, not in what people say, because people will deceive you all the time and we do live in a world of many false prophets. I'm not saying that that's their intention. Their intention is that they think they're doing what is right, but in the process, they're not teaching the things that are scriptural. And that's why we want to hit topics like this and other things that people would bring to, uh, bring to the table for us to discuss. And I would also just, my final thought here, um, don't let your, pride try to convince you to give an answer that you're not sure of because when Andrew had asked me these questions a little bit ago not all of them but um, a couple hours ago we were on the phone and he started asking them and I was really excited about them but then we got to that one that I was like eh, I didn't know the answer to and I I would have loved to be able to answer all the questions but I was like mm, I don't have a good answer for this let's talk to your dad <laughs> so but I and then I invited myself over for the conversation because I wanted to hear the answer. Yeah, but you say it wasn't a good answer, but it was. If you don't know, if you honestly don't know the answer, then you're a good answer to somebody is, I don't know that. I will research it and look into it. And if I, you know, you don't get your answer and I come back to you when I figure out myself what it is because there are too many times when people don't know what they're talking about that they go in and talk about it anyway. They go into this big dissertation about what they don't know and try to convince you of something that they don't know. And so uh, we're going to wind up for this evening if there's nothing else from you guys and we will I uh, look for the next podcast. Well, that'll be tomorrow night with me and Sean, but uh, we will publish this one and see what, uh, what comes of it and how many people get to learn another more piece of truth about God. Thank you for joining us today on Hidden Treasures Revealed. We want to leave you with this thought. The greatest treasure in life, and especially in faith, is discovery. If we try to convince you of things, you may gain head knowledge, but if we let you discover things, you will have heart knowledge to know and understand and be able to give a good answer for the faith that you have. Treasure hunters seek treasure nonstop. Seek the treasure of God through conversation with them and through their word. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, 
and you will receive, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. Seek the hidden treasure of God, and you will be blessed by it.